Turn with me, John chapter number 11 tonight. We're going to continue right on here in the book of John. The Lord hasn't changed my mind on that. I'm just going to keep right on with it. We've come to the end of chapter number 11. Now, chapter number 11 in the book of John is a remarkable chapter. It is uh, relatively long in the number of verses that are in this chapter. And I find that as we look through the book of John, as we have verse by verse, chapter by chapter, just went consecutively on through the book of John and just preached uh, in an expository type way, verse by verse, all the way through uh, this chapter. We find that as we come to the book of John, there are several places that are familiar chapters but at the end of them, there's a whole bunch of verses sometimes tagged on that we just simply ignore. We don't think a whole lot of. We, we read the account just like it is here in John 11 of Lazarus being raised from the dead and we come down to about verse number 45 and that's, that's about all we get out of it most of the time. But I'm thankful that even in these kind of what I would call secluded verses or these distant verses, I'm glad they still great truth in them as well. We find in verse number 47, the Bible says, then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, what do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. What about that? They recognized that all men would believe on him unless something was done. That sounds like the devil speaking to me. Amen. And the Bible says, and the Romans shall come and take away our place and nation. That's why they didn't want all men to believe. And one of them named Caiaphas, being a high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but went thence into a country near to the wilderness into a city called Ephraim. And there continued with his disciples. And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand, and many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they Jesus and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple, What think ye that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he was, he should show it that they might take him. Father, we come to you tonight and we thank you for what you've already done in this service. I thank you for the help that you've given us. Thank you for the time of prayer. Thank you for the choir singing. Thank you for the girls singing tonight. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for God, how you've helped our hearts and encouraged us already. Lord, I pray through the time tonight, the preaching of the word of God. I pray for anointing and I pray for your touch, Lord. I pray that you would touch. God, these lips of clay, that they wouldn't say anything they don't need to say, but Lord, they would not withhold anything that you desire to be said tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts and let us hear what thus saith the word of God. May we apply it in our lives tonight. God, may you help that one that needs help tonight. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We come to this place in the word of God. And the title of the message tonight, if if we were to title this, this passage in the book of John, is what are you doing with what? he's already done. What are you doing tonight 
with what he's already done. We come into these verses in verse number 47 in light of the context of the previous part of the chapter that Lazarus has been raised from the dead. But not only that, that was simply the last miracle of the earthly ministry of our Lord that John records in the Bible. We find that Jesus here in these verses is on his way to the cross. The remaining part of the book of John, chapter number 12 through chapter number 21 through the end of the book is about Jesus. Jesus going to the cross, dying on the cross and being raised from the dead and ascending back to heaven. You find in verse number 12 that six, that Jesus was six days before the Passover and you understand that on the Passover was when he was crucified. And so Jesus is coming near time wise speaking to the cross here in these verses. We find that his earthly ministry has come to a close. Five out of seven of the I am statements in the book of John have already been given. Jesus has declared to the Jewish people and to the world that he is the bread of life, that he is the light of the world, that he is the door to the sheepfold, that he is the good shepherd, and that he is the resurrection and the life. All seven of the miracles that John records have been concluded by verse number 45. Uh, My friend, we find that Jesus started out in Canaan the Galilee, turned the water into wine. He healed the noble man's son. He went to the pool of Bethesda and healed the man that could not go to the pool by himself. He's fed the 5,000. He's calmed the sea. He's healed the blind man. And now he's accumulated that in one of the greatest miracles that you read about. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus been four days in the grave. But Jesus came and just spoke. And Lazarus came forth leaping, praising God. And we find that Jesus in this being said that he has announced himself with those I am statements. And these miracles have been done. He has revealed himself and announced who he is with word and he's backed up his word by his works. He's given the Jew everything that they needed to believe him, to trust that he is the Messiah and to see that he is almighty God wrapped up in flesh. And so that being said, we come into verse number 47 and the Bible says that the then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees to counsel and they said, what do we or as we would say it, what do we do they come to a place that in light of the word of God and in light of the works that Jesus had done to back up the word of God they come to a dilemma with the word of God and with the works of God being powerful and being consistent his message not changing all the way through his life the power that consisted of what he had said and what he had done uh, even just his words without the works even being applied to it they were powerful the temple guards in one place in John They said this man speaks with authority. The word of God was powerful. The works were so powerful that here even in John 11, the miracle that they are right on the backside of Lazarus being raised from the dead. I don't think there's anything else in this world you could see that would testify to power than a man being raised from the dead. Him being testified to that he's been four days in the grave and he's been raised from the dead. That's power, friend. That's the power of an almighty God. And it's undeniable 
undeniable. They could not, uh, my friend, dissolve or do away with what Jesus had said and what he had done because the words and the works were so powerful and they were so consistent that they were undeniable and they were unchangeable. It was known abroad uh, everywhere they went that Jesus was doing these great and mighty things. That's why they made the great statement in verse 48 that if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. We find that the word of God and what Jesus had done, the works that he had done was life changing to the people that had believed and had accepted what he had done. And that brought a dilemma to the Pharisee because they had not yet allowed and they would not allow the word of God and the works that testified to back up the word of God to be life changing in their life. And that presented a dilemma because the fact of the matter is because the word of God is undeniable and it's unchangeable. We can't take it back. We, we weren't the ones that give it and we can't take it back. God's the giver of it and it stands. The Bible says that the word of God is ever settled in heaven. It's standing right now consistent and undeniable even before us today. And because of that it presents us the dilemma that there is a demand presented by the word of God. That demand is that it it, uh, it makes us react to it. Amen. Uh, tonight the word of God in its power uh, my friend it re- requires us to react and produce an action toward the word of God. Uh, ladies and gentlemen here in John we find that Jesus had done these great and mighty works. He had announced who he was. He had backed up who he was by his works and now it was time. It was getting down to the nitty gritty. It was getting down where the rubber meets the road and the Pharisees and the chief priests they had to make a decision because there was a demand placed upon their heart and upon their soul by the word of God and by the works that Jesus had done and the Bible speaks about the children of Israel uh, over in Psalm 78 and the Bible speaks about how the children of Israel they faced something very similar they had come out of Egypt they had been delivered by the mighty hand of God once again they had seen the power of God they had seen God work and taking Moses and using him to do great and mighty miracles before Pharaoh to convince Pharaoh. They had seen God break his heart by taking his firstborn son. They seen God take them by way of the wilderness, by way of the Red Sea. They had been entrapped by the land. They had seen God part the Red Sea. They seen that that Red Sea riverbed as they marched across on dry land where they ought to have been mud holes. They marched across on dry land. They seen the marvelous power of God. But in Psalm 78 the Bible says that they forgot his works and the wonders that he had showed them. The Bible goes on through Psalm 78 and it speaks about all the things that God done for them in the wilderness and how they believed him not despite all that he had done. And the Bible says for all this they sin still and believe not his wondrous works. And because they believe not, because there's a demand placed upon the word of God and the works of God when it's done in our sight, God requires a reaction from us and because they believe not the Bible says therefore their days did he consume in vanity and their years in trouble ladies and gentlemen that's not where I want to be I don't want my years to be consumed in vanity and my days in trouble ladies and gentlemen I don't want to be on that side of the reaction to the word of God and to the works of God so let me ask you again tonight what are you doing with what he's already done for you the Jew they took what he had already done these miracles and these statements that were powerful, undeniable, consistent 
and unchangeable and they looked at them in light of carnality. We see in verse number 48, the Bible says that they looked at it at the end of that verse. It says that they were afraid that the Romans shall come and take away both our place. Now, they looked at this in a selfish manner. They said, our place. Now, in reality, if they were spiritual, they'd have said, this is God's land. God's the one give us this land. Amen. This is God's place. But no, they didn't recognize that. They recognized it as themselves and as being the ownership of it. And they, they, they done that out of pride. Amen. And that was the reason that they did not want to believe upon him because they was afraid that they would lose something that they had. Now that's a lie from the devil. That's a lie that he's still telling today. He's still telling that if you'll get saved by the grace of God, you got to give up this and give up that and you're going to miss out. Well, listen, there may be a lot of things that's going to change in your life and I'll say as a matter of fact if you really get saved by the grace of God there will be a lot of things in your life that change but I want you to know that you will not miss out on any good thing you may miss out on some bad thing but you will not miss out on any good thing I want you to know that God has orchestrated this universe for your good and for his glory amen and so if God's telling you no God don't let you have it I want you to know it's for your good and for his glory but they were afraid they were going to miss out on something. They said our place and our nation. They looked and they the demand was placed upon them. They had the dilemma of what do we do and the demand is placed upon them and then it comes decision time and they base their decision upon selfish motives. They was concerned about their place or their position. They were concerned about their nation which represented their power. Does that sound familiar? That sounds familiar to all of us, amen. We get concerned about our position and we get concerned about our power. We get concerned about how we're going to lose out on this and lose out on that. But ladies and gentlemen, remember that Jesus has already shown that he is, my friend, the one that is the door to the sheepfold. He's the one that gives position and he's raised Lazarus from the dead. He's shown that he is power itself. And so when we rest in him, we've got great position in him and we've got all power in ourselves we have nothing the Jew they was a prime example of this that the Romans controlled him Caiaphas he was not just a spiritual high priest but he was just a political figure really of his day he was a puppet at the strings of Caesar and my friend they were a testimony in this day my friend that they really didn't have position and they really didn't have power but my friend when you get in Christ Jesus you've got position in him and you've got power because of him. When you're in yourself, friend, you're just a mess. Amen. But I'm glad that when you get in the Lord Jesus, I'm glad you get everything he's got. And so we find that they base their decision upon selfish motives. But notice that this was a serious decision as well. They were chief priests, verse 47, and Pharisees. This was a serious decision because, number one, it was going to affect them personally. Every decision that you make affects you personally. And that's a big deal because the decision they're getting ready to make in light of the Word of God and in light of the works that Jesus has done to back up the Word of God, it was going to affect them personally and their personal eternity. Now the decisions that you make, they affect you personally. And that ought to be a big deal to you. You ought to care enough about your soul, friend, to to, to not go to hell for nobody. You ought to care enough about your soul, friend, to live for God, whether anybody else does or anybody 
anybody else know. You ought to care enough about your own soul to get in on the goodness of God and get in on the grace of God and get in when the table is spread. You ought to care enough about your own soul and care enough about how the decisions that you make affect you personally. But even more than the personal aspect, these were men that their decision, it was going to be, it was going to affect them positionally. It was going to affect a great multitude of people because of their decision. They were chief priests. They were Pharisees. These were men of renown that were looked up to in their day. And when they made a decision, it not only affected them personally, which is a big deal, by the way, but it was going to affect their family. It was going to affect their children. It was going to affect the entire nation of Israel. When you went, when we get to Calvary and we study upon how those chief priests were the ones that stood in the crowd when Pilate brought Jesus before the people, they were the ones that coerce the crowd into crying out crucify him crucify him their decision was going to affect a multitude now that applies to us today when we think about what we're doing with what he's already done when we begin to look with selfish motives at how we react to the word of God and how we react to the works that God has shown us that backs up the word of God when we react selfishly to those things we think about our power and our position and we don't think about how it affects anybody else really. Amen. But I want you to know this this evening, no matter what you are, who you are, everybody in this building, you've got some kind of title. Mama, that's a title. And that's an important title. Daddy, that's an important title because that's an important place in the home. Amen. Grandma, grandpa, uncle, aunt, Every one of you in this field, you've got somebody that's looking up to you. They're watching your life. They're looking at what you do and how you do things. And the decision that you make with what you do, with what he's already done, with what you do with the Word of God, and what you do with the works that he's given to back up the Word of God, not only will it affect you personally, but there's a great multitude that follows suit. Amen. Think about this. You're training your children right now in things that you're not even telling them. Amen. They're following you. They're watching you. And what you're doing right now, is that what you want your children to do? Can you say that in every aspect of your life, that everything I'm doing right now, that's the way I want my children to be? Because in reality, the, the statement, we may tell them, do as I say and not as I do. But in reality, that goes in one ear and out the other. They're watching your life, friend. They're watching what you do. They're watching the moves that you make. Amen. They're watching where you go and what you do. Listen, I see it in church. A lot of times I, I see when, when one person don't come to church for a few weeks, everybody thinks they can lay out. Amen. Preacher announces he ain't going to be here. I, don't, I try to tell y'all I ain't going to be here because you lay out. Amen. <laughs> Whole crowd lay out. That happens sometimes. Just being honest tonight. Somebody, the decision you make, other people take notice of that. Amen. You, you get on the phone and you, you, you get to talking about this, talking about that. They say, well, you know what? That's right. That's right. You better make sure you're right when you tell them. Amen. And, and we ought to think about when we do things and when we say things, we ought to think about how that's going to affect the mentality of other people. Now, I'm guilty as you are. I'm preaching to the, preaching to the preacher right now because we all do these. So we all get caught up in these because we're human. 
we're still stricken with flesh and we still make these kind of mistakes. But I'm glad that the Word of God, it shows us the example of the Pharisees and shows us the example of the chief priest and the scribe and it throws up a red flag and throws up a banner for us and it says, hey, looky here, they done this. You should be careful so that you don't do this. Amen. I'm not saying these things tonight to discourage you or to hurt you or to harm you. I'm just telling you this tonight because I love you and it's what the Word of God says. And when the Word of God gives us some type of a warning, we ought to take heed to that so that we don't fall into the same trap. And for us to live in the abundant life that Jesus spoke about, we've got to grasp hold of some of them truths and come out better on the other side because of them. The truths of the Word of God, friend, they refine you. Amen? And listen, what refines you is what defines you. It's who you are. And I want the Word of God and the truth of the Word of God to be what's refining me because I want my life to be defined by the Scripture and not by my mentality because, listen, I've made so many mistakes, it's unreal because I've wanted to do it my way. I thought I had a better idea and I thought I had a better way, but I found out it did not work. And that costs, friend. So I'm just trying to help you tonight so you don't make the same mistakes. Amen? Listen. Every one of us in here tonight, you hold credibility and influence in somebody's life. Uh, Some maybe more than others. But regardless of the fact, there's somebody that's watching your life. Somebody that one day, they're probably going to try to mimic your life. And if anybody's going to mimic my life, I want them to see me serving Jesus. I want them to see tears of glory running down my face. I want them to catch me, Brother Kevin, in an altar somewhere praying and begging the Lord to touch and to help and to bless. I want them to see me praying for sinners. I want them to see me somewhere shouting the victory and giving God the glory. I want them to see us singing the old songs of Zion and testifying of the goodness of God and of the grace of God. I don't want them to catch on to my doom and my gloom and my complaints. I don't want them to catch on to my mistakes and my mess-ups and my sin, my failures, my transgressions, my iniquities. I don't want them to have the hardness of heart. I don't want them to have the, the, the wicked mind. I want them to catch on to the good things, the truth of the Word of God. And if we're ever going to do that, we've got to let Jesus help us. We've got to let the truth of the Word of God refine us. And so when we're faced with the dilemma of what do we do with what he said and what do we do with what he's done, what do we do with his word and what do we do with his word, when that demand is placed upon our life, what decision will we make? The Jews in these verses you find, I'm not going to go verse by verse for time's sake, but you find that they took counsel in verse number 53 to put him to death. The chapter closes out with the Pharisees giving a commandment that if any man knew where he was that he should show it that they might take him. They desire to kill him. They made a decision in these verses, friend, that they would not let Jesus be Lord because for to make him Lord at all made him Lord of all and they could not have that. Because to make Jesus Lord, that meant that he would be in control and they'd have to give it up themselves. Amen. A lot of times we don't want Jesus to be Lord in our life because we don't want him to really have control. We want the blessings of God. We just don't want him to have control. Amen. That little word control, if you go home and think about that, that's a hindrance to a lot of us. Amen. 
We want control over our lives. And so because they refused in their pride to give up control and let Jesus be Lord, they made a decision to deny him. They made a decision to strive to destroy him. And I liken that unto our day. Notice with me in this chapter, they're right on the brink of the great, one of the greatest miracles you read about in your New Testament. They're right on the brink of a great and mighty thing that Jesus has done. Those, there were Jews that were standing there that day when Lazarus cried on the graveyard and said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus never hesitated, but he come forth bound in them grave clothes. They seen it with their own eyes, but still in just a few verses, in just a moment of time, they're making a decision to deny him. Because they refuse to let him be Lord, to let him have control. Now, this evening, my heart is burdened and my heart is heavy because we live in the United States of America. And right here in the mountains of western North Carolina, we're blessed beyond measure. Brother Matt, he's actually going to be sharing with us Sunday morning on what he's seen in the Philippines doing a presentation. He's been showing me a lot of the pictures Boy, I look at them pictures and it's unbelievable how poor they are and how destitute they are. And he gets telling me about what they eat and how they even go to the bathroom and how they don't have cars like we do and their streets and all these type things. And you know how it is. You've seen many pictures from third world countries. And here we are in the United States of America and God's blessed us like he has. I mean, he's blessed us economically. I know that we're in an economic, we're not what we used to be, I guess. But listen, ain't nobody in here wanting for much. Amen. As far as your needs go anyway. You may not have the bass boat or the 75 foot, 75 foot camper and the $80,000 truck it takes to pull the camper with and all those type things. But we ain't wanting for much of our needs. God's blessed us tremendously. And God, not only has he blessed us in that way, but he's blessed us spiritually. Listen, I understand tonight that we're living in the darkest days, maybe spiritually, that America has ever been in. We're living in the days when we're falling away from God faster than we're coming to God and other religions are growing faster than true biblical Christianity is. Revival is almost a thing of the past. Church memberships all over this country are declining. But you think about what we've seen. You think about the revivals that God's allowed to take place on the soil that we call home. You think about all that God's done, the missionaries and the men of God that God has used that are Americans. You think about how God's blessed us with the ability to get on our phone and and look up and see what other people thought about the scripture and God's allowed men to write commentary after commentary about the word of God. They sermon after sermon after sermon in print and even now in audio. You can find preaching 24 hours a day to seven days a week if you want to and never hear the same message twice. Listen, God's word has went out across this nation. His works have even testified that that word is true. Some of you tonight are are proof of the word of God. You're a living testimony of what Jesus can do and that the word of God is true in that it changes lives and that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You're a testimony of that. So what I'm saying tonight is we've heard the word of God and we've seen the works that back up the word of God. Now let me ask you tonight. 
out of all that we've heard, out of all that we've seen, what are we doing with what He's already done? Think about that. The Bible speaks about a New Testament church in the book of Acts. The preacher preached on it Tuesday morning that turned the world upside down. That same God still in glory. That same Holy Ghost still the one that empires the church, Brother Frankie. That same Word of God what's preached. That same Jesus still there. And I really believe I really believe that if we could just ever lay ourselves aside, I really believe God would do some things in these days. Because, you know, I think about how dark the day is that we live in and how destitute we are. I think about how how wicked the day and the hour that we live in is. But then I'm reminded from the Word of God that in the darkest days in history in that Bible, was when the light of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and the glory of God shone the brightest. It's in Noah's day when it's dark days. But boy, that ark stood as a testimony because Noah had faith and he honored the word of God and the works of God. He seen what God had done and he honored him by doing something with it. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think about Elijah. I think about Abraham. I think about even Moses. I think about all those prophets, Jeremiah, through the New Testament. I think about John the Baptist. Hey, it was dark days. If you go back and you study any of those that I just mentioned, they were living in dark, dark days, but they were men of faith, and they held on to Jesus. And you say, what are you talking about, preacher? They was in the Old Testament. They was looking forward to the coming Messiah. They was holding on to Christ in Him to come and we're looking back we've already seen it done we've got a better grip friend and that makes us that much more responsible and accountable so in closing tonight let me ask you God's done great things just in your life oh my look across this building tonight and I've heard you testify God's done great things in your life friend Probably even this week, God's done some things that maybe nobody else even knows anything about. I mean, maybe he done something just in the wee hours of the morning that you can't even explain. It's come by and he massaged your heart and let you know that he's still God. I wouldn't take nothing for them times. Amen. Amen. When God the Holy Ghost just sets down and he wraps a big arm around you and can't nobody else see it, but boy, you can sure feel it. I wouldn't take nothing for those times. God's done great things in our lives. We got great things to do for Him because of what He's done for us. The Jews in those verses made a decision right then and right there on the brink of the resurrection of Lazarus to deny Him and to do everything in their power to destroy Him. Oh, that's wickedness at the very heart of it. But if we're not real careful, friend. We'll do the exact same thing. Amen. So I want to ask you tonight one more time. With what he's already done, what are you doing with it? In light of what he's already done, are you saved tonight? In light of what he's already done, maybe you're here tonight and you're saved, but are you serving him? Are you surrendered to him? Are you submitted to him? 
Are you here tonight and you're giving him the sacrifice of your praise? I think tonight, if I know anything, I know that out of what he's already done for me and what he's already done for you, ladies and gentlemen, we deserve tonight to get in an altar. If we ain't, if you're not saved tonight, you deserve to get in an altar and call out unto and get born again. And those of us that are saved, we need to be surrendered, submitted, and sacrificing the, the, the uplifting of our praise unto him. Because he's been good. He's been good. He's been merciful. He's been gracious. He's put up with us. Long suffering to usward. Oh, thank God that God is a God of mercy. And a God of long suffering. And out of all he's done for us, you know what? The least I can do is go on and serve him. And try my best to do what he tells me to do. Try my best to be obedient to him and live my life in faith. Do my best to live clean before his sight and try to please him. Do my best to be a vessel that would be a vessel of honor unto his glory. A vessel that he can fill and a vessel that he can use. Out of all that he's done for me, the least I can do is say, Lord, here I am. Me and Brother Matt was talking about this the other day. There's some things in your life, spiritually speaking, that's a one-time affair. Salvation, you get saved one time. I've been made three professions of faith, been baptized three different times, but I got saved one time. Amen. Amen. Them others, that's all they was, was a profession of faith. But that third time, there's something in my heart happened. Amen. Amen. That third time, it's something real, Brother Bobby. Amen. There's some things in life that's only a one-time deal. Salvation's one of them. But then there's some other things spiritually that it's an everyday ordeal. That surrender that I was talking about, when I surrendered to preach, that was a one-time ordeal, but then every single day I have to surrender my will to His will. When I wake up in the morning every single day, I have to say, God, I'm not going to do it my way today. I'm going to go your way. Amen. Because if I'm not real careful, that old flesh will take over and I'm going down the wrong path in a hurry. Amen. That submitted part, that's an everyday thing. Amen. That offering a sacrifice of praise, that's an everyday thing. You might be here tonight and you're saved. You've, you've committed to the calling God's put on your life, whatever it is. But maybe it's that everyday thing that's, that's giving you a hard time. It does me sometimes. I forget. I get busy. I get distracted. I just flat out refuse. Amen. But in light of what he's done for me, Brother Alvin, every morning when I wake up, the least I can do is say, God, I surrender my will to yours afresh. Lord, I submit my will afresh to you. Lord, I'm going to praise you today, whether it's cloudy or whether the sun's shining, whether it's raining, whether it's muddy or whether it's dry. Lord, I'm going to praise you today because of what you've done for me. Listen, stand with me to your feet. Pianist is coming. If God never done one more thing for me, He's done enough already for me to praise Him 
for all of eternity. Not just the rest of the days of my life, but he's done enough for me to praise him for all of eternity. Now tonight, I told you I'm preaching to the preacher. This is for me as much as it is you. I believe the Holy Ghost has reminded you tonight what he's done for you. He saved you. He's helped you. He's kept you. He's provided for you. He's been there with you when nobody else was. He's been everything that the Word of God said He is. And that much more. And I know that we sure ain't been what we ought to be. But maybe you want to slip out of your pew tonight and get in an altar. And say, God, out of all that you've done for me, and in light of the Word of God and in light of the works that you've done, Lord, I want you to help me to take advantage of the goodness of God, to take advantage of the blessings, to take advantage of the promises of this book. And Lord, I come tonight, I surrender afresh, I submit afresh. Lord, I don't want to miss out. Make a decision to deny you like the Pharisee and the chief priest did. Would you slip out of your pew tonight? Make your way to an altar. In light of what he's done, say, Lord, I'm going to go on. Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve you in them dark days. I'm going to serve you in them dry places. Lord, if you'll just help me, I'll serve you. Maybe you're here tonight and you've been backing up a little bit on what God's put in your heart to do. You don't have to tell nobody about it except Him. This will be a good night to get in an altar and say, Lord, rekindle the flame that I once had. Lord, restore and revive in me the zeal, the desire, the burden that I once had. you come tonight and if you're here and you've never been saved I'm not going to beg and plead and pry with you all night but I want you to at least think about this with me if you're here and you've never been saved Jesus left the splendors of glory came to this sin stricken earth Laid off his righteous robe and took on humanity. Went to the cross of Calvary. Suffered a death that no man has ever or ever will die. The wrath of God was poured out upon him as they beat him and smote him. Plucked his beard from his face. Took him to a scourging post and beat him and whipped him with a cat of nine tails. Marched him up Golgotha's hillside. Drove nails in his hands and in his feet. And all that He was doing just for you. Just for you. He took the wrath and the punishment for sin so that you could go free. He stood in your place, took your hell so that you could be justified, so that you could go to heaven. Out of all that he's done, friend, why don't you come to him and accept him as your Savior? Say, Lord, here I am. 